Welcome to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders. We now know what Ohio State's 2024 roster is going to look like, at least for the most part. And it looks like it's going to be really good. Oh, the NFL draft deadline passed on Monday, and Ohio State only lost two members of its junior class to the NFL draft, that being Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mike Hall. Everybody else who we had talked about having NFL draft decisions to make is coming back for the 2024 season. Those players, including Travion Henderson, Emeka Buka, Jack Sawyer, JT Tuamolowau, Tyleek Williams, Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, Lathan Ransom, and Donovan Jackson. Those are nine players right there who I think all of them could have been selected in the NFL draft this year had they chosen to declare. Had they all declared, we'd be talking about Ohio State having one of its biggest draft classes ever this year. But instead, we're talking about all those players coming back to play for the Buckeyes in 2024. And that's where we're going to start on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, because I think with all of those players back, you're looking at Ohio State having a roster that should be one of the best, if not the best roster in the country. No, absolutely. And like you said, particularly on the defensive side, right? I think it was funny because before this year, you know, the thought was that Ohio State was going to lose a lot of guys on the defensive side just because of the NFL draft stock of some guys. Most of them ended up playing up to that stock, ended up kind of getting to where they we thought they would be as NFL prospects. But uh, a lot of them think they can go even higher or are coming back to achieve some of the unattained goals that this team has, namely beating Michigan, winning the Big Ten, winning a national championship, right? Those same three goals every year. And so, you know, when I thought going into this year, coming out of this year, 2024 was going to have to be a rebuild year for Ohio State on defense. It is now very much a reload year, perhaps in the words of these guys who are returning, you know, the re- reload that reload that clip will uh, will will keep it uh we'll keep the the other part out of it but uh reload the clip as they're saying you know get get all the bullets back in the chamber the silver bullets and you know this defense returns a ridiculous amount of its production from last year you know first off they'll have nine starters back to fill out that defensive side but and you start to look at the numbers they put up last year and think about the production they have back you know already a top three defense stand both in scoring and total um and a lot you know number one pass defense in the country when you get all these starters back you start to look not just to be the number one defense in the country but maybe for something more than that something like georgia had in 2021 a defense that can be the driving force behind a national title team a defense so dominant that you know it takes hold of most of the season now that's the potential not saying that's what's going to be the case i'm not saying this is certainly not guaranteed to be a historically great defense, but the pieces are there when you talk about, you know, they got 82% of their tackles for loss back, 91% of their sacks, 88% of their takeaways, that's interceptions and fumble recoveries, and 82% of pass breakups. So the returning production, the talent we know is there. This has the potential to be a truly special Ohio State defense and maybe the best we've seen in a very long time. Reload that MF clip. We're not. We won't save a word. But if you want to <laughs> know what that means, look it up. Provided you're not a child, um, as long as you're an adult, you can look that up. If you don't know what that means, you probably do know what that means. But yeah, I mean, you you just ran through those numbers. Those are some very impressive numbers for that really speak to the amount of impact players this Ohio State defense is getting back. And you know, I think particularly you look at the defensive line in the secondary. And I mean, the defensive line, I mean, you have Jack Sawyer, JT Tuamolau, Tyleek Williams coming back. Those are three players with all American potential. And then Ty Hamilton, I think late in the year, you could make the case that Ty Hamilton was actually Ohio State's second best defensive tackle. He played really well in the Cotton Bowl. You know, obviously Mike Hall didn't quite have the year that we thought he was going to have this past season. Injuries might have played a part in that again. But I think Ty Ty Hamilton quietly played really well down the stretch. And he's a guy that intrigues me because I I, I, I 
I keep drawing the parallels back to his brother, Devon Hamilton, and we've seen them have kind of a similar career arc here where things started out very quietly, then it gradually became more and more productive over the third and fourth season. And then in the fifth season, we saw Devon Hamilton really take off as part of what was a great defense in 2019. And if Ty can do that same thing alongside you know, Tyleek Williams, who we saw have a fantastic 2023 season, Jack Sawyer, who we've talked about before, was the best player down the stretch for Ohio State. And I think if he can continue at that level, you're talking about a guy who has all-American potential. And then JT Tuomola, wow, uh, we, we've certainly seen that from him as well. When he's been at his best, he can absolutely take over a game. And so it starts up front, and you would think that front four, I mean, it should be the best defensive line in the country. It, it has that kind of ability. And I think you could say the same thing when you look back at the secondary, particularly at cornerback, with Denzel Burke, Davison Igbenosin, and Jordan Hancock all coming back. That is a tremendous luxury to have. And you're talking about a pass defense this past year that ranked number one in the country in passing yards allowed per game. Those cornerbacks were a huge reason why. And to bring all three of them back, plus have guys like Jermaine Matthews coming off the bench. You know, Calvin Simpson Hunt, who looked really good last year in, in late in the season, coming off the bench. You know, Lorenzo Styles Jr., a guy that they're high on, now potentially being ready to play more this year after redshirting this past season. Uh, their, their depth at cornerback is, is phenomenal. And I think, you know, that, that cornerback unit is going to be the best cornerback unit in the country. And so you, you pair that with what should be an elite defensive line. And, and that's the recipe for a truly elite defense. And you know, I mean, I, I would say that the defense this past year was already elite. I mean, you just look at the numbers. They finished in the top three in both points and yards allowed per game. They already had a fantastic defense this past season. But the potential to build on that, the potential of all those players having another year of experience and another year for Jim Knowles to implement his scheme. And granted, there's still a couple question marks on, on the defense. You know, I think getting Lathan Ransom and Cody Simon back for their fifth year senior seasons is big. I think Lathan will provide a lot of stability at safety, as will Cody Simon at middle linebacker. I think the will linebacker position, the free safety position, those are still the, the two question marks. Now, granted, you have two guys who were two of the top prospects in the entire 2022 recruiting class in Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks who could potentially fill those voids. I think Sonny Styles could potentially fill the void at either linebacker or safety. And I think we're both kind of leaning toward that idea that maybe Sonny ends up playing Will Linebacker this year. If he does that, you'd have a bit of a question mark right now at free safety, but you've got, you know, a couple players who I think have the potential to potentially possibly be that starting free safety and Malik Hartford and Jihad Carter. And then, you know, we're still kind of waiting to see what happens with, with Caleb Downs, if Ohio State would have a chance to potentially land him from the transfer portal after Nick Saban's retirement last week. If they could get him, then I think you add him to all these returning pieces and you'd really be talking about something for this Ohio State defense. But you know, even without any further additions, I think all the pieces are there for Ohio State should be able to have the best defense of the country. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Caleb Downs talked about 107 tackles in the freshman. Might have been the best freshman in the country last year. What, what a huge addition that would be if Ohio State could get him and, you know, obviously finish second in his recruitment the first time around. And there's going to be some hiccups there. If he does enter the portal, Georgia will be a serious contender. His, his former position coach is now at Georgia. So uh, there will be, uh, you know, trying to get Caleb might be a task. I'm sure there will have to be some NIL dollars involved in that too. But, you know, I, I think it speaks to kind of speaking of that NIL, you know, it, it speaks to some of Ohio State's NIL strategy that we've seen play out this offseason. It's more retention and transfer based. And we've seen them add some transfers, seen them retain all these guys where they're not as big into the in recruiting inducement category as other schools, perhaps. But the, the retention of a roster like this of proven guys is arguably more important. So uh, I, I think that this is the year we see if that strategy pays off in some respects. But going back to the defense specifically here, I think that 
the depth too is like you, you get through all these discussions, what they have coming back. Jim Knowles, the, the huge track record of getting better year over year every time he's at a place, did it at Duke, did it at Oklahoma State, now doing it at Ohio State, got a lot better year one to year two. All that coming together, the, the depth of this defense too. I mean, you mentioned it at cornerback. You ha- How many programs have someone like Jermaine Matthews coming off the bench in his sophomore season? I, that's, he'd start anywhere else in the country. He'd start anywhere else in the country, exactly. That kid's special, but they, you have three other special corners that are going to be in front of them taking the field there and a defensive line i mean i think kenyatta jackson jr and caden curry would both start 90 percent of teams right now i think caden mcdonald's going to be awesome next year i think has a great skill set coming into his second season that could even get him factored into the one tech rotation i think hero canoe is really good and uh has shown some flashes so some promise they have depth at a lot of these positions obviously like you said the two question marks will linebacker free safety maybe not as much i i like sunny at will linebacker because i feel like the best plays we saw from him this year came when he was in the box at that nickel position he wasn't His strong suit was not coverage. I I think that's fair to say that when he moved back to deep safety or when he was at nickel, when he was forced to cover in the open field against receivers in particular, had some lapses, had some difficulties, even had some problems in a lot of open space making tackles in the Cotton Bowl. You know, a player two sticks out in particular, Brady Cook scrambles where Sonny took a bad angle and he escapes on that. So it wasn't a strong close to the year for Sonny at that bandit safety spot replacing Lathan Ransom after he got hurt. I don't know if the plan is to move Lathan over to free safety. I think that's what you, if you want Sonny to start deep safety, I think it has to be at bandit and maybe there's another year of development that can happen there. Maybe some changes, maybe some tweaks to get him in that spot. I don't see him as a free safety at all, unfortunately. So that might require moving Lathan over to that free safety spot. Since he's coming back, you need a spot for him. And, you know, Lathan, obviously, proven productive player at Bandit. I think you're doing great there. I I just think Will is also the best position for Sonny because it still allows him some of that freedom to operate. I think you watch how Steel Chambers played that spot. Steel had rough patches this season. Overall, the last two seasons, he's been really good in that position, I think, for Ohio State. and I think had a better close to his season than he had in kind of that middle. Steel really did a great job of playing sideline to sideline. Will linebacker, in the way this defense is structured, is a player that gets a lot of space to operate. And I think Sonny is still plenty twitchy enough to really take advantage of that when it's in the box like a linebacker is. So uh, I just think that position makes a lot of sense for him. I know it's kind of a stopper when you know fans have wanted to see C.J. Hicks all this time. C.J. didn't really show a lot in the Cotton Bowl that inspired confidence, the two plays he was in. And I, uh, you just wonder where his development is. You wonder if linebacker is even the best position for him. He might you know, they they worked him at the Jack a little this year, but who's to say if the Jack ever is involved with the defense again, really? It's it's there's a lot of questions around that spot, but I do think Sonny is the best Will Linebacker is the best fit for Sonny's talents. That's the bottom line for me. Yeah, Jim Knowles said before the Cotton Bowl that, you know, something on his to-do list this offseason was going to be figuring out how to unleash C.J. Hicks and how to find a role for him. So that suggests there could be some more experimentation to come with him in the spring. I think uh, those two guys in particular, when we think ahead to spring practices in March, when when we start talking about who we're going to be watching, I think those two guys are probably both going to be near the top of our list because I think those are two guys, I mean, very they were such highly touted prospects and they're now going into their third year. You have to find ways to utilize both those guys' talent this year. But I think there's multiple different ways you could potentially use both of them. And so, you know, that's going to be a big question, I think, going into the spring for sure. I thought you made a good point on NIL that I want to get back to because, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit in December, but I think you really saw the fruits of its labor over the past couple of weeks to where, you know, you, you look at some of the guys that Ohio State may have lost down the stretch in recruiting, like Justin Scott and Jeremiah McClellan. And, you know, one thing that, you know, I think maybe hasn't been talked about very much, but I think is a real thing is take a team like Miami. Miami does not have anywhere near as much returning talent as Ohio State. 
And so that means whatever resources they have from an NIL standpoint, they can spend more of that on recruits because they don't have to devote as much of it to actually keeping their own players. Whereas Ohio State, you know, if, if not for NIL, those nine guys that we talked about, they're not all back. Like, I'm not saying they're all gone, but they're not all back. NIL is a, is a very real factor in why all of those players are still at Ohio State. It, it allows guys to approach the decision process from a different angle because it used to be, well, if you want to get paid at all, you got to go to the NFL. And I'm sure some of these guys would have said, hey, I'd love to beat Michigan. I'd love to play another year at Ohio State, but I got to make some money. But now they can, if they think, I want, I really want to play another year at Ohio State and I think I can improve my draft stock and I can still make money doing it, then that decision to stay becomes a lot easier than it would have been a few years ago. And so NIL is a big factor in that. And I think Ohio State and, and the 1870 Society deserve a lot of credit for how they've ramped up their NIL efforts here over the past couple months. Um, you know, I, I think that there's been a very real push from Ohio State here of late to really buy into NIL and, and really start being more aggressive on that front. Obviously, when this whole thing started back in 2021, the first year or two, it was clear that Ohio State was a little bit behind some of the other major programs in terms of using NIL to its advantage. But I think Ohio State was so leery of potential NIL violations and not knowing what the rules were. They, 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 they really just wanted to dip their toe into water. And I think now they've really dove in and they realize that, hey, if, if, if we want to win championships here, if we want to achieve all of our goals, we, we have to attack this thing full force, at least until the rules change. We, we, we have to... We have to go all in on NIL. And so uh, I think, you know, Ohio State has done what it's needed to do on that front. And I think that has certainly played a big part in why Ohio State has so many potential NFL players coming back for another year, as well as, like you mentioned, getting some top talent in the transfer portal like Quinshawn Judkins and Will Howard. Right. Those two will be part of an offense, you know, that, you know, we've talked about this defensive side so much. This offense, it's going to have a lot of weapons again. You're losing Marvin Harrison Jr., but you're keeping Emeka, you know, with how... I think that's a huge addition when you talk about bringing a veteran presence, a guy with proven production to a room that's not going to have any of that outside of him next year. You know, we expect Carnell Tate to be really good. I've called Jeremiah Smith the best receiver prospect I've ever seen. A lot of people have called him that. We think he's as can't miss as there can be at the position. Brandon Ennis, obviously uber talented five star. You know, you've got got a lot of guys there. Um, but now Emeka is going to be one proven guy that you know you can rely on in these situations immediately. You know, for Will Howard to kind of get that chemistry and get settled in. But the questions will be the same as we had last year with this offense, really with this team, because, you know, I, I think we've talked about the defense being, it seems like the defense is a shoe in to at least be really good. Um, I, you know, I'm expecting them to be the best in the country, if not like the best in the country for the last few years. They're, is a question mark on this offense that's been the same since before last season, and it's the offensive line. And what level can the offensive line get to? Uh, Seth McLaughlin was a good idea to bring in some competition to the position room. I think you need to do that at other spots if you can. Maybe look at some tackles, especially with the Washington and Alabama you know, coaching changes. There are some guys at both of those schools that would make sense. Um, I, I think that you need to continue to amp the level of competition up on the offensive line because even if those guys 
don't ultimately win starting jobs. And I think there are some who would and could out there in the transfer portal now. It's it's going to elevate the level of the starters that you do have and get some more depth where I think there's some spots they could use some depth on the offensive line. Looking at kind of the offensive line as it projects right now, I, I think that there is really... I, I think there's a path to this being a pretty good offensive line. Uh, Josh Simmons, I think, kind of came on at the end of the year, even if he struggled in the Cotton Bowl. Had some nice progression. Is an athlete that the staff really likes, has always really liked. Donovan Jackson, you know what you're getting in him at this point, obviously has really the potential to play up to an All-American caliber. Didn't do that in spots this year, but uh, had still had some really good games mixed in and a guy who's going to be you know in his third year starting. Uh, Seth McLaughlin, if he figures out the snapping issues that kind of popped up for him against Michigan, I, I think he's a phenomenal pass blocker and a guy who can definitely improve on the ground, um, has the tools there. Josh Fryer, I think we expect to move into guard and uh, compete maybe with Tegra Shabola there. And then Luke Montgomery at right tackle is a guy I really like entering his second year. Um, I think, you know, obviously he had some stuff with the Bison package early on in the season. Didn't really play much of that role toward the end. They kind of pivoted to Shabola in those spots. But I, I think that this is an offensive line as it stands that you could develop into a good unit. I, as you know, as bad as the Cotton Bowl was, I do think they have pieces there with proper development, and you look at those names. But it, I don't think Ohio State can be satisfied with that. They need to keep attacking the portal, bring in what they can to compete for those jobs, and really, this is an all-in push. It should be an all-in push type of year with everyone you have coming back, with the three straight losses to Michigan, with people calling for Ryan Day's head out there, I guess, in, in some circles. And, uh, you know, it's, it's we talk about it being a break or make or break year for day before. You can't afford to sit idly by at these key spots that cost you last year, can cost you again this year if they're not properly addressed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same questions that we had going into last year, for me at least, is will the offensive line be good enough and will the quarterback play be good enough? I think that's going to determine whether Ohio State can take advantage of this really talented roster, you know, and I think, you know, when when you when you have a wave of players coming back like this, uh, it gets everybody excited again. And I think there's a lot of good vibes in Columbus again. And now it's like, oh, this roster is so loaded. Like, this is our year. We're going to go win the national championship. But you got to address the, those big questions still. And I think uh, that offensive line is is still the number one question that, that could absolutely make or break whether or not this Ohio State team can achieve all of its goals. And, you know, like you said, for that reason, you know, there has to be competition there. You have to, you know, really push to build the best possible unit. You can't settle, you know, just because you have guys, you, know, you have four returning starters, just because you have four guys returning as starters, you can't just settle on them if they don't take another step forward because, uh, you know, really the offensive line across the board needs to be better. And so, you know, to me, that's still the number one question for this team in terms of whether it can take advantage of all the talent it has is the offensive line. And, and because of that, I, I won't be surprised if Ohio State does ultimately, whether it's, you know, now or whether it's after the spring, you know, if they do end up adding another offensive lineman via the transfer portal just to continue to increase that competition. Because like you said, I, I think, you know, you can certainly piece together an offensive line that has the potential to be as good as you need it to be. But based on the way things went last year, you, you can't just be comfortable with what you have because there's a lot of projection there. You know, a guy like Josh Simmons, I think we both agree that he improved a lot over the course of his first season and there were definitely some good signs from him and that he has the potential to be a really good left tackle but you're still projecting that he's going to get there and be able to play at that level on a consistent basis and so you know I think right now like what I feel pretty good about Josh Simmons at left tackle yeah do I feel very good that Ohio State has anybody else that can play left tackle right now 
I'm not so sure about that. And so that's why I look at it and say, you know, if you can bring in, you know, another offensive tackle, you know, to compete at either spot and push Josh Simmons, push Luke Montgomery, you know, push Josh Fryer if they decide to keep him at tackle, you know, push Tegra Shabola. I think if you can and continue to bolster that competition, you know, if you, you know, you don't, you don't, you never want to just have five guys on the offensive line. You, I mean, you'd love to have 10, but you really want to have at least eight where you got, you know, a, a backup tackle you feel really good about, a backup guard you feel real good about, and a backup center you feel really good about. I don't know if you're there yet. So I think that, uh, continuing to look for potential upgrades in the portal is certainly something that Ohio State should do on the offensive line. Yeah, I, I think, though, you know, you look at the offensive talent as a whole. I mean, the talent is certainly there. And certainly getting a Mecca, Buka, and Travion Henderson back is huge because, you know, getting Quinjon Judkins out of a transfer portal last week was huge too at running back. And now I, I think. You know, without qualification, you have the best running back tandem in the country in Travion Henderson and Quinchon Judkins. I mean, if you were just ranking the best running backs in college football, I think you would put both of those guys in the top five entering 2024. And now they're both on the same team. And so uh, that running back tandem is fantastic. And again, you know, you need to have the offensive line to open up holes for them. But I think. You know, if if that offensive line can be where you need it to be as a run blocking unit, I think having both Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins allows you to potentially lean on your running game in a way that maybe you haven't as much in recent years. Because, you know, I think this past year, you know, they had depth at running back, but you know, there was a there was a drop off when Travion wasn't in the game. You know, Trip Trainum did some good things, but he didn't have you know, the same kind of production that Travion did when he was out there. And so to have, you know, two guys who are really both feature backs and and to be able to have them split carries throughout the year and, and balance the workload off of each other, you know, I think you feel really good about what you have at running back. And I think having a Mecca Buka back, you feel a lot better than you would at wide receiver because, you know, Carnell Tate, Jeremiah Smith, Brandon Innes, all of those guys have superstar potential. but I think if they were just your free starters and you didn't have anyone with a lot of proven experience there, I, I think you'd feel a little bit more uneasy. I think to have a Mecca Buka back as the leader of that room and then to be able to put Carnell Tate and Jeremiah Smith and Brandon Ennis around him, however you decide to deploy that. Because you know I could see a starting lineup where a Mecca Buka moves outside plays opposite Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes starts in the slot. I could also see a starting lineup where Jeremiah Smith starts immediately opposite Carnell Tate and Emeka Buka stays in the slot. I think you'll probably see both of those lineup because I think all four of those guys are probably going to play a lot in 2024. And we'll see if a Jaden Ballard or a Mylon Graham can work in there for some snaps as well. But I think those are probably going to be the four guys leading the way at that position. And you know, you're, you're probably not going to find another receiving core in the country that has more talent than that. Abuka is the only one who's really proven at this point, but any of those other three guys could have, you know, big breakout years in 2024. And so uh, you, you've certainly, you, you, you've got some weapons there. Uh, you know, Will Howard, you have to see how is he going to uh, acclimate into this offense and can he take that next step now that he has that talent around him, can he be that upgrade over over Kyle McCord? Uh, we will see on that, but it's certainly going to help him to have you know that kind of talent around him. Ohio State's still going to miss Marvin Harrison Jr. because Marvin Harrison Jr. is a special player. I, I think they're going to miss Cade Stover as well with what he did at tight end. You know, I think tight end's another position that's a bit of a question mark, but I think you've got three guys there who we you could potentially see any of them you know be emerge as the top tight end at some point this year and those would be Will Kasmarek a transfer from Ohio G Scott Jr who was the number 2 tight end this past year and then Jelani Furman who of course there was a ton of excitement going into last year about and we didn't see him play much as a true freshman but you don't usually see true freshmen play much at tight end at Ohio State and so you know he's certainly a guy who could have a breakout year 
in 2024. Uh, I think Will Kasmarek's a guy who brings a lot of experience from Ohio and a well-rounded skill set who can help them. And then, you know, we'll see if G. Scott Jr. can kind of take that next step and become that complete tight end. And so, you know, there's, there's no lack of talent on this offense. It's not, you know, we talk about that defense having that generational potential. I think there's more question marks on offense, but at the same time, I mean, you've got Travion Henderson, you've got Quinchon Judkins, you've got a Mecca Buka, you, you've got some other guys who certainly have the potential to be stars too. No, yeah, absolutely have the horses to uh, do something really great on the offensive end this year. And, you know, I think too, it's, it's going to matter exactly what the staff looks like uh, on the offensive side, you know, and we, we've we're now pretty sure that they're going to go out and try to find an offensive coordinator to run things on that end, similar to how Jim Knowles has taken over the defense, take the play calling off of Day's plate, and then that play caller might have some input into that coordinator might have some input into you know the offensive staff going forward and evaluate different position coaches. We'll see. So I think that's obviously another big curveball that's going to get thrown into this and exactly what the approach of that coordinator is going to be. I don't think the offense is going to change too much, regardless of who it is. I think Day is going to hire someone with similar philosophies, do some things that they're already doing, I'm sure, but still have that schematic and that management side of things taken off his plate on the offensive end so he can step back and fully embrace uh, that that CEO role, you know, as we've discussed. So I think that's another big thing for the offensive side. And getting Will Howard to a place where he is a clear upgrade over McCord. You know, the numbers didn't really suggest that from a passing perspective in 2023 and obviously you look at you know he didn't have ohio state weapons he didn't but he was also playing big 12 defenses which i don't think were as good as big 10 defenses this year we've talked about this before i think will howard's going to have some proving to do um some improving to do as well to get to that echelon it's i don't think it's just a given and you're going to need to make sure his development is on the right track with the right coaches yeah now, a lot of, lot of good news for Ohio State football the last couple of weeks. A lot of good news for the football team. On the basketball side of things, Dan, not looking as pretty. Uh, they have, they're fresh off a three-game losing streak, a uh, 12-game road losing streak now dating back to last year. You know, and uh, just really this was a game that the one thing we said going into this week, last week, was, you know, you really couldn't afford to lose both these games. I, I think that, especially this Michigan team, when you look at it, they've lost five straight going into this. They were 6-10, and ten, some really bad losses on that record, and you, this was a chance to snap the road losing streak in some of those narratives. Felt like a, as much of a must-win as it could be for Ohio State at this point in the year, and they, they didn't get the job done on the road there in Ann Arbor. So, uh, some... The basketball team not delivering to the level of, I guess, the excitement that's around the football program right now, to say the least. No, I mean, it's it's always going to be cyclical with all these things in terms of excitement around programs and whatnot. But certainly, you know, for Ohio State basketball, I think, you know, you, you entered 2024 with a good amount of, you know, positive vibes around the program with the way that, you know, they had started off the year. You know, they had gotten some, you know, quality wins in non-conference play against Alabama, against UCLA, against West Virginia. You start the year off with a win over Rutgers. And then since then, we've seen a slide with three straight losses to Indiana, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And, you know, I think we can sit here now in the middle of January and go, well, here we go again, because this has been the pattern under Chris Holtman. It, it, it just has been. Every year, they, they get a win or two in November, December. It gets people excited. Hey, it, it's a, that's a big win. They're looking good. And then January comes, and the free fall starts. And it's like every year, they get into the meet of Big Ten play, and they have this slump. And it, it just seems to happen pretty much every single year. And, and now the question is, can they snap out of it much more quickly than last year, because last year we saw Ohio State ultimately go on to, what was it, 16 losses in 17 games or something like that? It was a very long 15, stretch. Yes, 15, 15 and 16. 15 out of 16. Yeah. Very so long much better stretch. than 16 out of 17. Yeah, there. a very <laughs> long stretch fair of about two months where Ohio State almost never won. And so, uh, you know, Chris Holtman 
has been adamant after the last couple of losses that he does not believe this year is last year that he believes uh you know this this team is better now you know i know you looked at some of the numbers and you know i don't know that it's at least to start out that this stretch has been that much different than how the stretch started out last year because if you look at that long losing drought from last year ohio state had some close losses there in those the start of that stretch but then started ballooning into some more decisive losses and so now you're at a point for ohio state where you have to make sure this does not balloon into another stretch like that you've got what should be a very winnable game coming up this Saturday against Penn State and certainly a game that you know you need to win and you need to bounce back after blowing an 18-point lead on the road against Penn State. You know, this is certainly we talked about Michigan being, you know, a game that Ohio State had to win. Well, they really have to win this one. So, you know, Ohio State, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Ohio State was being projected as like a six or seven seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I looked today or Tuesday before we started recording and Ohio State was projected in the first four by both Joe Lenardi and Jerry Palm. So Ohio State has very quickly fallen off now to where they're very much a bubble NCAA tournament team. And and the road ahead is not going to get easier in Big Ten play. I mean, you look after Penn State, you know, the, the rest of the teams Ohio State plays in January, Nebraska, Northwestern, Illinois. Those are three teams that are all playing really good basketball right now in the Big Ten. And so Ohio State has to snap out of this quickly or this does have the potential to be a repeat of what we saw last year. It's You're right when you say it's been a cycle, especially the past three seasons with these Holtman teams to kind of, if not completely fall apart, at least lose a lot of momentum. And after the calendar turns and you get into January, February, March, um, since, you know, I'm sure a lot of fans will remember they were a two seed upset by 15 seed Oral Roberts back in 2021. Since that time, Ohio State, Dan and Big Ten play 15 and 26. I was just adding that up. So this is it's been a trend, especially the last three seasons. And, uh, you know, some of the numbers Comparing this year's team to last year's team, you know, do point to this year's team being better. I think just watching them, um, the eye test, I feel at their best, they're a more complete team than they were last year. Have more, you know, they have three big time scorers, whereas last year Bryce was kind of the only go to guy. I think it's better ball movement overall on the offensive end. Their defense is certainly better. And it, you know, they had a pretty awful defense last year. So, it, 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 you know, they've been kind of mediocre on that side, bad on a few ga- in a few games. So that that's kind of elevated that a little bit. But yeah, like you said, it, last year, the stretch that started the 15 of 16 streak were four pretty tight games. I mean, they lost to the top team in the country by two points to start the whole thing. Purdue, uh, they lost on the road in overtime. You know, they lost by three points to Minnesota, a team that was pretty bad last year. And I think that's a kind of a comparable loss to this Michigan loss. When you talk about, you know, you lose a close game to a bad team that maybe had a better performance than they're normally capable of, but you still didn't find a way to win what was ultimately a winnable game. Ohio State was up by four points. You know, in the in the stretches of this Michigan game, and Michigan closes on a 13-4 run right after Wisconsin closed on a 19-4 run after Ohio State had a lead. This team has not been able to finish games for the last three years. And yes, experience plays a part in poise, in executing down the stretch, all of those things. But at some point, that can't be an excuse anymore. That has been the thing that, you know, Holtman has been saying about this inability of his team to close games this year, whether, you know, all going all the way back to when they blew the 18 point second half lead at Penn State, you know, and even in some of the close games they've, they've taken, even some of the wins have become closer games after, you know, things were a little more in hand at other parts of the second half. Youth has closed out big time games in college basketball for a while. It's about getting that experience. Yes, but it's also about instilling that the right mentality in your players. And right now it just doesn't seem that Ohio state has, I don't know it, the juice, whatever you want to call it to close these games down the stretch. And they make key lapses, whether on the defensive end and or turnovers or it's something different too. 
game to game, which is another thing that makes it frustrating. You know, there's there's several areas we'll dive into where, you know, they've been deficient in this stretch. But uh, I think different things are costing you game to game. That's also a pretty bad sign. Now, there's, you know, Chris Holtman, again, <laughs> maintaining confidence, doesn't think the team's story is over. But, you know, I, I said this in my story I wrote for Tuesday is yeah, their story isn't over yet. They're 12 and five in January ultimately, but they've got to start writing some better chapters soon because of this schedule. Like you mentioned, Dan coming up. I mean, this this losing streak could spiral very quickly if they don't beat Penn state on Saturday. Yeah. And I think realistically, I mean, the next two months, I think Chris Holtman is, or at least absolutely should be coaching for his job. I mean, he, he's in year seven now at Ohio state. And I think, you know, the, the excuses about, oh, you know, young team and whatnot. I mean, he's had more than enough time now to, to build and rebuild his roster over and over again. So I think like last year when things went south, we talked about, well, he's got another good recruiting class coming in. You pair that with a recruiting class from a year before, and that should build a really good core of a team. And that's something to build off and take that next step next year. I, I, I think we we've reached the end of a point now to where Chris Holtman's tenure as Ohio State's head coach or his future as Ohio State's head coach can be measured on what could be or what they've come close to doing. I think we've reached the point now that the results have to be there or they're not. And so we talk about a team that's now on the bubble you got to stay on the right side of that bubble if you're Chris Holtman. I think if you want to be Ohio State's basketball coach next season, you got to stay on the right side of that bubble. You got to find a way to, you know, win the majority of your games here down the stretch, which is not going to be easy, but you've got to do that and you've got to find a way to make the NSA tournament because Ohio State's going to have be having a new athletic director coming in soon. Ross Bjork becoming Ohio State's new athletic director. And I think you know, one of the things that's probably helped Chris Holtman stay at Ohio State as long as he has is the fact that, you know, Gene Smith has stayed loyal to him and Gene Smith has had that belief in him. But a new athletic director coming in, you know, is often a time where you see coaching changes happen. And, you know, we've talked about it could be a make or break year for Ryan Day for that same reason. But I think it's even more so right now for Chris Holtman because, you know, I mean, I mean, Ryan Day, I mean, we're still ultimately talking about a coach who, you know, has gotten Ohio State to the college football playoff, who's won Big Ten titles, who's, you know, won double digit games every single year, except for the COVID year. You know, if Chris Holtman, we're, we're, we're talking about an Ohio State basketball program now that is going into its seventh year under him and has yet to make a sweet 16 or make a serious run at winning a Big Ten title. So you, you, you put all of that together. You know, I think, you know, we, we talked about it before of a year, the, the minimum expectation for Ohio state has to be making the NCAA tournament. I mean, I, I mean, I think, you know, we could, you know, talk at a later point, whether just making the NCAA tournament should be enough, but that's the minimum. And so right now, you know, in a very quick, it doesn't take long, you know, you know, college basketball, it's different than college football in the sense where one game doesn't make or break your season, but it only takes a couple bad losses for you to go from being a team that's solidly in the tournament to a team that might not make the tournament. And that's the position Ohio state finds itself in now because it just lost to a seven and 10 Michigan team. And so, uh, you know, certainly I think they're in the danger zone now. They're in that danger zone now where I think these next couple of weeks are going to be very telling for this Ohio State basketball team. Can they flip the script? You know, will Chris Holtman be proven right when he's saying, you guys are going to see it. Trust me, th this team is going to get better. Will the results back up those words or will they just prove to be empty promises? And I think, I think ultimately the results are, are going to determine Chris, Chris Holtman's future beyond this season at Ohio State. And, you know, for me, I think the number, you got to at least get to 20 wins, probably got to get to that anyway to make the tournament, but that would require, you know, an eight and six close to the regular season on, again, what's a, a really tough stretch of games and coming up for Ohio State. And you look at really 
their two and four record in the Big Ten so far, it doesn't inspire confidence that they're going to do that the rest of the way. Now, if they take the steps that Holtman is saying they can take, then obviously things start to look a little different. So they're going to have to prove it on the court. I, I think, you know, I'll be very interested to see what the turnout is like on Saturday in the shot. I, I think that just reading our message boards, reading comments, seeing things, there's a lot of apathy within the fan base right now, a lot of anger, which I don't think the team should at all let influence how it's playing. Um, I think when Bruce Thornton comes to bat for Chris Holtman, like he did in, in that post-game press conference at Michigan, I think that's absolutely what the players should be doing. I think what Chris Holtman should be doing is absolutely what he's doing, saying he still has confidence in his team, backing his guys. But there is a general sense, like I said, of apathy, I think, with a lot of fans in just seeing the same results bear out year after year. This year still has a chance to be different, but it's got to happen quick. It's got to happen really soon. And uh, if it doesn't, then yeah, I think uh, Chris's job will need evaluated. I think the one curveball in all of it is Gene Smith. The timing of Gene Smith's retirement doesn't step down as athletic director until June 30th. And that's not when you want to be starting a coaching search, Dan, not in basketball. So I, I, I am curious to see if this year does blow up. Is Gene Smith willing to fire Chris Holtman? on his way out the door because that will be what's best for the program. If you're going to make a move, you got to make it right after the season. You can't be starting a coaching search in July. Yes. And I mean, I would imagine that even though he wouldn't be starting until after then that Ross Bjork will be involved in those conversations. Ted Carter, the new Ohio state president will be involved in those conversations. The board of trustees will be involved in those conversations. So you're right. It, it, it that is a variable. I, I'm not sure that Gene Smith wants one of his final acts as athletic director to be firing Chris Holtman. But at the same time, if a consensus forms that that is the move that needs to be made for Ohio State, I, I think, you know, it, it's something that he would have to do. You can't leave the new athletic director in a situation where he has to make that move in the middle of the summer. And so uh, we'll see how it ultimately plays out. I mean, Chris Holtman's not going to get fired until the season's over if it happens at all. And so uh, we'll certainly judge that based on how the next two months play out. There's still time for, you know, Ohio State to turn this thing around. I mean, they're still right now. They would still be in the tournament and, uh, you know, they still have a, a, a good overall record. And so there's still time to turn this thing around. But certainly two really big games uh, coming up this week for Ohio State uh, playing uh, against Penn State at home and then. Uh, going to Nebraska, where Ohio State will try to avoid losing its 13th road game in a row. Two road games coming up after Penn State against two good teams in Nebraska and Northwestern. So certainly uh, the pressure is on for Ohio State to get some things figured out and get that thing turned around. But I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, the new athletic director hire because Ross Bjork will be Ohio State's new athletic director. As you mentioned, he would not start until later this year because Gene Smith is still on the job through the end of June. Uh, but certainly, you know, with the hiring happening now, you know, Ross Bjork is still someone who could potentially have influence on things that happen at Ohio State even sooner and certainly someone who is already influential in the college sports space. Uh, he's currently the athletic director at Texas A&M where he's been since 2009. Before that, he was the athletic director at Ole Miss. And before that was the athletic director at Western Kentucky. You know, when you hear about Ross Bjork from, you know, people in college athletics, he has a reputation of being, you know, a very good fundraiser, which is a, a big part of being an athletic director. I think a lot of a focus on the athletic director is, you know, who they hire and fire as coaches and, you know, how did the football team perform? But there's a lot more to the job than that. And one of the biggest jobs is, uh, you know, generating revenue for the athletic department. And he's done a very good job of that everywhere he's been. And so I think, you know, that's certainly one reason why he is, uh, going to be the next Ohio State Athletic Director. Uh, I think another reason for that is uh, he's been uh, very progressive on the NIL front, which, you know, we talked about it before. I think Ohio State is already 
moved in that direction. I think they are already getting more aggressive in terms of NIL. So I don't think they necessarily need a new athletic director to come in and, you know, completely reinvent the wheel there. But I think Ross Bjork is someone who's going to be very invested in taking Ohio State even further in terms of how it uses NIL to its advantage, because that's certainly something that they've done at Texas A&M. It, I don't necessarily think that means that Ohio State is going to do it exactly the same way Texas A&M did it, because we, we've seen at Texas A&M that spending a ton of NIL money to get the top recruits in the country and you know, a bunch of transfers hasn't necessarily worked for Texas A&M. Uh, I think certainly as long as, you know, Ryan Day's in charge of the football program, he's not going to be interested in just spending NIL like crazy to bring in, you know, a ton of, you know, recruits and unproven transfers like talked about before. You know, some of that focus is going to be on, you know, retaining the top players from their own roster. But I, I do think that, you know, that's certainly an area where, you know, Ross Bjork can help Ohio State continue to move forward. And, you know, that's probably another thing that made him an appealing choice in terms of being the new Ohio State athletic director. Now, uh, you know, the, the, the hiring, I think, has been judged negatively by some, um, you know, particularly on social media, which big shock people on social media have opinions. But, uh, you know, I think there's a couple black marks on his resume that, uh, you know, people are going to point at uh, one being the fact that, you know, he gave Jimbo Fisher a fully guaranteed 10 year, $95 million contract extension in 2021, which uh, certainly backfired spectacularly as uh, he ended up making the decision to fire Jimbo Fisher uh, in November and leaving Texas A&M on the hook for uh, the remaining $75 million of that contract. And so, you know, that was certainly something he, he has admitted himself. That was a mistake. Uh, he's learned from that. Uh, you know, he would lean toward, you know, giving more incentive based contracts going forward. And so, you know, I think that's something that, you know, in terms of whether it's retaining coaches that Ohio State already has or bringing in new coaches in the future, I think that's something that he can learn from and that will certainly shape his thinking there going forward. Uh, the other thing that, you know, people are going to look at with Ross Bjork is, uh, what happened at Ole Miss in terms of the NCAA violations that happened under his tenure, uh, where uh, the Ole Miss football program was hit with some major sanctions that included a two-year bowl ban and 30 pre-vacated wins. Uh, Bjork, uh, you know, really, uh, when you look back at that situation, uh, he very he very much defended Hugh Freeze initially in terms of when those violations came out, and then you know Freeze ended up resigning after you know lots of evidence went public. Uh, that, that made it clear that, um, you know, he, he was no longer the right man for the job. And so, you know, that was something that was kind of a stain on uh, his tenure at Ole Miss and why, you know, I think if you were to look at what some of Ole Miss and Texas A&M fans are saying about this hire right now, you know, they, they, they might be saying good luck because of, you know, those couple of things that happened while he was at Ole Miss and Texas A&M. But, you know, I, I also think that, to, to judge an athletic director based solely on a couple of things that were high profile publicly, I, I don't know that that's really fair. I mean, there's a lot of people when they think of Gene Smith, the first things they think of are Tattoogate and the Urban Meyer situation in 2018, which, you know, th those things should be just a sliver of Gene Smith's Ohio State legacy when we talk about all that he's accomplished at Ohio State uh, in his 19 years at Ohio State. And so uh, I, I think there are definitely positive qualities that Ross Bjork will bring to Ohio State. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm an expert on what makes a great athletic director or whether Ross Bjork is a better hire than other candidates that Ohio State potentially could have had. Um, you know, but I, but I do think that, you know, you, you can see, you know, some of what he's done elsewhere that would make him an attractive candidate for Ohio State. Right. You know, it's hard to evaluate as a member of the public, I, you know, what an athletic director is doing. Yeah. You can see the results on the field for a coach. You know, we, we get to watch the product every week, every Saturday when it's basketball, you know, every few days when it's every Saturday when it's football, every few days when it's basketball. 
with an athletic director, I mean, there's so much that happens behind the scenes in terms of fundraising, in terms of relationships with donors, in terms of building out facilities, in terms of negotiations and those stuff. I think a lot of Gene Smith's successes are very public when you talk about some of the buildings he's built on campus, getting new facilities for wrestling and volleyball, you know, finally getting, you know, women's hockey going, getting some, you know, he's built a lot of facilities, the lacrosse stadium, built a lot of facilities, done a lot of things to push forward the smaller sports at Ohio State. And, you know, there'll be more time for the Gene Smith legacy discussion at, at another day. But, you know, he, he's I, I think those are some of the public things that you can point to and say, well, Gene Smith has done well in this area with Texas A&M. I think, you know, on one hand, yes, they, you know, that university, there's the whole thing about having a bunch of oil money and, you know, it's Texas. There's a lot of dollars there. The NIL was kind of baked into a place that's so crazy about football. But at the same time, I think it's a lot of credit that, you know, they had one of the biggest, most thriving NIL collect um, program of collectives, I guess you could say NIL systems um, in college football with how, and you know, it paid off with that 2022 recruiting class. That was so great for them. They have a lot of resources in that department and Ross Bjork gets a lot of credit for being one of the people to help build that. You know, uh, I, I think that there might be a difference between he and Gene in terms of athletic department synergy with the NIL collectives, not that, you know, Gene wasn't about getting deals for the athletes, not that the collectives don't already do a good job of providing Ohio State athletes with these opportunities. But I think just their philosophies on NIL are different where Gene, I think, was more reluctant to go out and do some of these things in the NIL space because he's I don't think he's ever really been a huge fan of player play, especially not player pay, especially when it comes to uh recruiting inducements and things like that. I think Ross Bjork is going to be a little more of a go-getter in that sense of uh, wanting to push the NIL side of it as an athletic department. So, and again, not to say that Gene, the athletic department under Gene didn't do a good job of getting there the last few years. And again, we said, saw the results of that bear fruit in terms of player retention this year. But I, I just think there might be a little more synergy with the athletic department and the NIL collectives under Ross Bjork. It is interesting that Ohio State chose to hire Ross Bjork over several potential candidates who previously worked for Gene Smith. You know, I had heard from the beginning that Pat Chun was going to be a front runner for the job. And, uh, you know, he was one of the candidates who interviewed for the job. And Ohio State ultimately decided to go in another direction. And so I'll be interested to see what that leads to, because that would suggest that Ohio State is looking for the new AD to bring in some new ideas rather than just simply maintaining what Gene has done. And that could be a good or a bad thing because, you know, I think we both agree Gene has done a lot of good things for Ohio State. I think, you know, throughout the country, he is viewed as one of the best athletic directors in college sports. And so I, I think there would have been some merits to bringing in, whether it was a Pat Chun or a Heather Like or a Martin Jarman, someone who had already worked for Gene and could kind of keep a lot of things in in place that he had already started. And with that being said, I don't think Ross Bjork is going to come in and immediately tear down everything Gene has done. I I I don't think anyone would do that given Gene's legacy and given where Ohio State is as an athletic department. I mean, we talk about, you know, the issues a football program has or the issues the men's basketball program has, but you know, Ohio State they brought in more revenue than any other athletic department in the country last year. So uh, Ohio State's athletic department is in a great place. Nobody's going to come in and, and just reinvent everything that Ohio State is doing. But I do think, you know, to your point with, with, with Ross Bjork in terms of NIL or possibly in other areas as well, I think he's going to bring some new ideas, some different ideas that, you know, I think there will be things that he will do in a different way than Gene Smith. And I can't sit here and say right now whether that will be a good or a bad thing until 
we actually see it go into practice. Yeah, we got to see the results really in this instance. And it's it's something that's, again, not as easy to tell with an athletic director as it is with a coach per se. But, you know, I'll be curious to see how things change under Bjork and what things change under Bjork uh, in the coming years. Uh, I think that's going to be a very interesting storyline to follow because, you know, Gene Smith has been the athletic director basically as long as I've had Cinti and Stan. I haven't really known anyone else at Ohio State. So, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really aware of the Geiger days. Uh, the So, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be, it'll be really weird and uh, cool and interesting to see what it's like under a new AD. Yeah, and this has been a school where typically athletic directors have stuck around for a long time. I mean, Ross Bjork is going to only be the ninth Ohio State athletic director ever. And he's only 51 years old. And so this is someone who has the potential again i mean who knows how it will go but this is someone who i would think ohio state is hiring with a hope that this will be another long tenured athletic director and this is someone who can be at ohio state uh for the long haul as uh ohio state builds out its future as an athletic department so you know certainly interested to see how things play out under ross bjorts we've had uh gene on the show here a few times before so certainly hope that we'll be able to do uh, the same with, with ross and plenty more to come on that over the course of of 2024 and and probably next week i'm i'm sure and lots more ohio state football talk uh lots more ohio state basketball talk as we look to see if uh chris holtman and his guys can get things back on track so we hope you'll join us again next week Thanks for listening in.